Holy hour of power. Terry and Jesse show. I'm on duty here in Ohio, Canton, Ohio. Terry, what about you? Are you on duty? Ah, okay. All right. Well, we we'll just want to remind you that uh, the month of September is dedicated to the seven sorrows of Mary. And devotion to the sorrows of the Virgin Mary dates back to the 12th century when uh, it made its appearance in monastic circles under the influence of St. Anselm and St. Bernard. The Cistercians and then the Servites undertook to propagate the seven sorrows of Mary. It became widespread in the 4th century, or the 14th century, excuse me, the 14th, and especially the 15th centuries, where confraternities of the sorrowful mothers sprang up. I'm praying as a personal devotion uh, for the entire month of September. My and after my morning prayers, I'm doing the Dolor Rosary, the Seven Sorrows of Mary, along with other prayers, but I'm going to do that for the next 30 days. I, and I did it specifically for nine days. Because Father Chad Ripper says that according to the church's tradition, because Our Lady of Sorrows went through different sorrows at the foot of the cross in John chapter 19, that she merited different things. One of the things that Our Lady merited while standing beneath the cross was the ability to reveal hidden things. And she knows them more than anyone else in heaven, save God because of her closeness to him. Also, today is the exaltation of the Holy Cross. It's uh, there's there's beautiful prayers today that talk about the wood of the cross. Behold the wood of the cross on which has hung our salvation. Come, let us adore. Here's another hymn. Lift high the cross, the love of Christ proclaim, till all the world adore his sacred name. Led on their way by this triumphant sign, the host of God in conquering ranks combine. O Lord, once lifted on the glorious tree, as thou hast promised, draw the world to thee. So shall our song of triumph over ever be praised to the crucified for victory. Remember the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago. It was the instrument of torture by the Persians, Greeks, and Romans. But that instrument of torture and death raised aloft is now a sign of glory. And it continues, it continues to confound the wisdom of the world because God's work of salvation, it's it's it, it stands human expectations on their head. And humility is exaltation. That's what the world doesn't understand. Humility is exaltation. And the wounds of Christ are healing. And his death is what brings us eternal life. The exaltation of the cross, it proclaims that the event of the cross and resurrection abides and draws everything towards life. As the Catechism of the Catholic Church tells, them, tells us in 1085. We, Catholic Christians, and even the Orthodox, we exalt Christ's cross whenever we freely take up our own cross, filled with the certainty that the ultimate meaning and fulfillment that we crave in life comes to us through the cross. And with the cross, we are freed from the restraint of the enemy, and we clutch on to the strength of salvation. For salvation, 
means that death itself has died and that we have been freed from sin. We cannot produce or give any other fruit, writes St. Catherine of Siena, but the fruit we have taken from the free of life. No wonder that the sign of the cross makes kings of all those reborn in Christ, says St. Pope Leo the Great. St. Paul says in Galatians 6.14, we should glory in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, in whom is our salvation, life and resurrection, through whom we are saved and delivered. I want to offer a little prayer. Today's call at that Holy Mass. O God, who will that your only begotten Son should undergo the cross to save the human race, grant we pray that we who have known his mystery on earth may merit the grace of his redemption in heaven through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. Remember, in the Old Testament, whenever any of the Israelites who had been bitten by a serpent, and they looked at the bronze serpent on a pole, they lived. I want to share to you today's gospel, John chapter 3, verses 13 to 17. And even the first reading, because it, they all talk about the glory of the cross. And by the way, today I've got a great show. I'm going to be talking about, um, it seems that of the Holy Father, Pope Francis, some of the things that were sins today are not tomorrow. And so there's some ambiguity we want to take a look at. Uh, the article is called The Curious the Curious Doctrine of Pope Francis. It's, it's put out by Catholic Culture, Philip Lawler. We'll take a look at that. I also want to talk about the governor of New Mexico. She bans possession of firearms. Are you kidding me? Even the Democrats, their heads are spinning with what the governor, fake Catholic of New Mexico, is doing with his banning possessions of firearms. And then on the final segment, I want to talk about some good news. The, the, the pro-life Sound of Freedom producer and actor, Eduardo Verastegui, is running for president of Mexico. Can you imagine if Eduardo becomes president of Mexico? He's a serious Catholic. And if Donald Trump becomes president of the U.S., that would be a godsend. These two giants working as presidents at the same time, this would be an answer to prayer. So we'll be taking a look at that as well. Okay. Let me share with you the first reading because, again, it talks about the cross of Christ. And today is the, uh, is, is the exaltation of the holy cross of Jesus Christ. Today's first reading at Holy Mass, Philippians chapter 2, says, Brothers and sisters, Christ Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God something to be grasped. Rather, he emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, coming in human likeness, and found human in appearance. He humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross because of this god greatly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name that at the name of jesus every knee should bend of those in heaven and on earth 
and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father Gabriel Amorth, the greatest, most prominent exorcist in the 20th century, he passed away in 2016. Rest in peace. He says in one of his books that during sessions of exorcism, he says every time he prayed that or any time he recited that verse, Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 11, in the presence of a possessed person, that obviously their body has, their body's uh, been inhabited by demons, plural. Father Amor says that every time that he's prayed this, over a possessed person, whether the possessed person was sitting down or on their back on a bed or standing up, he said that when he would pray this, this verse over them, when he would deploy this verse over a possessed person, they would all go on their knees and stay there as he as he as he prayed this verse, as he quoted this verse. He said. It's as of an, an invisible hand took the possessed person, as I quoted Philippians chapter 2, verse 6 and 11, and this invisible hand would force them on their knees. Also, today's gospel, Jesus said to Nicodemus, no one has gone up to heaven except the one who has come down from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the servant in the desert, so must the Son of Man be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him might not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him, the gospel of the Lord. The serpent here in the Old Testament, it represents sin. And the fact is, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the desert, and as Christ has lifted up, the Son of Man will be lifted up also on a cross. That serpent on the pole, that represents sin. That's why Christ went to the cross. He went to make atonement for that sin, original sin from the serpent and actual sin. When the serpent causes us through temptation to actually sin, Jesus Christ went to atone on the cross what the serpent did at the Garden of Eden to Adam and Eve, and what the serpent does to every single one of us through through, through an ordinary temptation when we actually sin. All right, you're listening to the Terry and Jesse Show. We're going to be taking a look at what uh, the article is called, Ascend Today But Not Tomorrow, The Curious Doctrine of Pope Francis. is written by Philip Lawler, and it's, uh, it's uh, obviously... Uh, it's worth taking a fresh look at. We'll be right back. Stick around. Don't go anywhere. We are back to Terry and Jesse show. We are back. Terry and Jesse show. We adore you, O Christ, and we bless you because by your holy cross, you have redeemed the world. Today, try to get the Holy Mass. It's a very beautiful day today. It's a very uh, beautiful celebration. It's called 
the exaltation of the Holy Cross. That's everything for us as Catholic Christians. That's everything. I want to share with you an article written by Philip Lawler. The article is called A Sin Today, But Not Tomorrow, The Curious Doctrine of Pope Francis. Philip Lawler, uh, by the way, he's been around for a long time. He's a Catholic journalist for more than 30 years. He's edited several Catholic magazines and written eight books. He's the founder of Catholic World News, and he's the news editor and lead analyst at catholicculture.org. So he is definitely no shallow thinker. He says, today, it is a sin to possess atomic bombs. The death penalty is a sin. This is a quote from Pope Francis, who said this at a gathering of Jesuits in Lisbon, Portugal, earlier this month. So the Pope said that it's a sin to possess atomic bombs and that the death penalty is a sin. Now, these are pretty stern, clear, and uncompromising statements made by the Holy Father. But the Pope continued to say, he said, quote, it was not so before, close quote. Hmm. Thus, in the past, the Pope's admitting. Pope Francis is admitting. And he tells us that it was not, or at least not necessarily sinful, to have nuclear weapons or to execute a convicted a convicted criminal. But now, Pope Francis tells us, it is. So, here's the question. If something which was not sinful in the past is sinful today, can it work the other way around? Can something which was once sinful become morally acceptable? Perhaps even welcome? I think you know where I'm going. Pope Francis was confronted with, the, with that question during the same meeting in Lisbon, Portugal at the World Youth Day. One of the Jesuits in the audience asked about young people who identify as homosexuals. Hmm. The young Jesuit said, he said, uh, I, I feel that they're not an, I feel that they're not an active part of the church, but they often do not see in doctrine their way of living affectivity. And they do not see the call to chastity as a personal call to celibacy, but rather as an imposition. These young people, these young homosexuals, they see the church's call to chastity and celibacy as an imposition. It says, since they, since these young people are virtuous in other areas of their lives, and I, I think I would question that assertion, and these young people know the doctrine, can we say they are all in error because they do not feel in conscience that the relationships are sinful? So, close quote. So the Pope's answer was not nearly as strong and clear as his condemnation of the death penalty. But he certainly did not confirm the age-old Christian teaching that homosexual acts are immoral. He didn't. Instead, he expressed his impatience with what he sees as an undue preoccupation with, quote, sins below the waist, close quote. But Pope Francis at World Youth Day, after calling for sensitivity and creativity in pastoral care, he concluded by saying, quote, Everyone 
Everyone is called to live in the church. Never forget that close quote. So this is the Pope that says God's created other religions. Most of his encyclicals do not even mention the name of Jesus. He told a young person that, if, that asked him if an atheist can go to heaven, and he said yes. And this Pope makes no attempt to evangelize Muslims, especially in his encyclical Fratelli Tutti. So again, when, when the Pope is asked by a young Jesuit about young people who identify as homosexuals, that, question, that answer was ambiguous, where the Pope says, quote, they feel that they are an active part of the church, but they often do not see in doctrine their way of living affectivity, whatever that means. And they do not see the call to chastity as a personal call to celibacy, but rather as an imposition, the Pope says. He says, since they, young people, are virtuous in other areas of their lives, and again, I would question that, I think there's a lack of virtue in our society in general. The Pope says, and the young people know the doctrine, I would question that. I'd say most young people are not, are not well catechized. The Pope says, can we say that they, all these young people that promote that are have a homosexual proclivity, can we say that they're all in error? I would say we could say that. The Pope says, because they do not feel in conscience that their relationships are sinful. Again, these young people don't feel that in their malformed conscience. The Pope's answer was not nearly as strong, and that's the end of the Pope's quote. So, yes, everyone, certainly everyone is called to live in the church. Uh, the catechism is very clear about that. The church is the mystical body of Christ, including homosexuals, including executioners, including generals who manage stockpiles of nuclear weapons. But everyone is also called to live by the teachings of the church. And Pope Francis is not shy about pronouncing some teachings. So why did he avoid a direct answer to the question about the morality of homosexual acts? The Pope's explanation at World Youth Day was revealing. He says, quote, it is clear that today the issue of homosexuality is very strong and the sensitivity in this regard changes according to historical circumstances. What? The issue of homosexuality changes according to historical circumstances? Historical circumstances change, certainly, and public attitudes change with them, certainly, but fundamental moral principles do not change. God does not change. His doctrine does not change. If adultery and fornication and sodomy were wrong in the first and 10th and 16th centuries, they're wrong today. I get it that recreational sex may be widely accepted, even lauded in a decadent society, but the church is not or should not be governed by popular trends, which is why so many Catholics are distressed when the Holy Father, the Bishop of Rome, seems to suggest that church teachings may be influenced by changes in secular thought. If the issue of homosexuality is very strong, and it is, might that not suggest a need for greater clarity on fundamental principles? During the same question and answer session, when he complained about reactionary American Catholics who resist changes in church teaching, 
Pope Francis made another reference to how secular thinking might influence doctrine. Hmm. Secular thinking might influence doctrine. I have a problem with that. That's Here's what he said. Quote, Here, our understanding of the human person changes with time, and our consciousness also deepens. The other sciences and their evolution also help the church in this growth in understanding. Developments in the sciences can clarify our thinking on questions such as significantly when human life begins. But the sciences do not really change, do not really change our understanding of the human person in any fundamental way. It is difficult to understand what the Pope means here, okay? I'll just be honest with you. Unless perhaps he's referring of the shifting consensus of popular opinion among social scientists, which today calls for greater acceptance of homosexuality. Pope Francis, he, signs, he cites St. Vincent of Lorenz as his authority for the claim that church teaching changes over time. But St. Vincent, like St. John Henry Newman, insisted that church teaching develops rather than changes. Church teaching develops rather than changes. A doctrine may be clarified or expanded or rendered in more precise language, but it cannot be reversed. A doctrine is like a plant which may grow and bloom and bear fruit, but can never become something different from, from what it originally was. An acorn can become a mighty oak, but not a maple. There is an excellent article, The Proper Understanding of St. Vincent of Lorenz, which appeared in First Things magazine last year. Monsignor Thomas Guarino, he writes that he would, quote, counsel the Pope to avoid citing St. Vincent to support reversals, as with his teaching that the death penalty is per se contrary to the gospel, close quote. My copy of the Catechism of the Catholic Church, I still have the original one, lacking the latest change ordered by Pope Francis, teaches in paragraph 2266 of my catechism, it says, quote, the traditional teaching of the church has acknowledged as well-founded the right and duty of legitimate public authority to punish malefactors by means of penalties commensurate with the gravity of the crime, not excluding in cases of extreme gravity, the death penalty. That's the catechism I have at home. That's the one I'm sticking with. Whether the death penalty should be invoked in particular circumstances is a prudential question. But if the church traditionally supported the right and duty of the state to punish criminals, which is shown in the Old and New Testament, then the death penalty cannot per se be contrary to the gospel. Unless that traditional teaching was simply wrong for 2,000 years. And if the church was wrong in the past, we have no guarantee that the, that the church will not be wrong again in the future. Or for that matter, in the present. Again, just as this... Uh, just as we heard a few weeks, a few Sundays ago, the gospel reading about the solid rock on which our church is built. For centuries, our guarantee of the integrity of Catholic doctrine was the teaching magisterium guarded by Peter's successors. But when Pope Francis questions traditional teachings and, mock those, and mocks those who see the magisterium as a monolith, he undermines all teaching authority, including his own. You're listening to the Terry and Jesse Show. I'm here in Canton, Ohio. 
I'll be here for, I'm, I'm giving a talk tonight at uh, Living Bread Radio. And uh, what a joy to be here. What a beautiful, what a beautiful state. Uh, and so as, as a Catholic, I just want to offer a prayer right now to, for Pope Francis. It's got to be difficult being the Bishop of Rome. The buck stops with him. I want to offer a Hail Mary for him. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Ave Maria, gracia plena, Dominus tecum. Benedicta tu mulieribus et benedictus frutus ventris tu, Jesus, Santa Maria, Mater Dei. Ora pro nobis peccaloribus nunc et in mortis nostre. Amen. Well, up next, we're going to talk, be talking about what's happening in New Mexico. The governor of New Mexico is banning possession of firearms. Are you kidding? Stick around. We'll be right back. Don't change that dial. Terry and Jesse Show. We adore you, O Christ, and we bless you because by your holy cross, you have redeemed the world. Today, in the Catholic Church, we are celebrating the exaltation of the holy cross of Christ. Hey, let's, let's move over to New Mexico. I'm here in Canton, Ohio, but let's travel over to New Mexico. The governor of New Mexico, which I've been told is a baptized Catholic, another fake Catholic, uh, what else is new? She's banning possession of firearms. She's also an attorney. She should know better. So uh, it reminds me of uh, she she she's causing a firestorm right now. There's a firestorm against her because people are saying, "Wait a minute, you can't. You're violating our constitutional rights, our Second Amendment rights." And that's not a good sign, by the way. When a government that has power is trying to take away the firearms of the people, that's not a good sign. And so, uh, first of all, that's that's against just our Second Amendment. And it's funny, but the Catholic Church, most people don't know, the Catholic Church even has a patron, a patron saint of shooters. His name's Saint Gabriel Pacenti. Saint Gabriel Pacenti is the patron saint of shooters. In case you didn't know that, but uh, let's go back to New Mexico. The governor of New Mexico last Friday she she used an emergency action to ban the possession of firearms in public in the largest county in the state. She declared a state of emergency to suspend rights guaranteed by the Second Amendment. There are already calls for this declaration to be tested in court, and the local sheriff has already declared that he will not enforce the action. Good for him. And I think he's a Democrat, too. The mayor, the, the governor, excuse me, of New Mexico has acknowledged that something has to be done if the action does not withstand challenges in court. But consider the following. Consider. Where have we heard this emergency language before? <laughs> we have to do this. By emergency declaration, Americans were sold, were, were, were sold, hey, in two weeks, we can flatten out the curve. By emergency declaration, we Americans had to wear masks. 
by emergency declaration, American small businesses were, were shuttered and put out of business. By emergency declaration, our, our churches were closed and Catholics were denied access to the sacraments. By emergency declaration, our schools were closed. Our children were isolated and continued to suffer the physical, emotional, and educational consequences. By emergency declaration, government and many private employees were forced to inject an unsafe, unproven, and ineffective jab into their bodies. By emergency declaration, we were made to stand in the cold while we waited in line to buy food. By emergency declaration, beaches, parks, and the outdoors were closed off. So, <laughs> the government set us up for the actions of the emboldened governor of New Mexico, the land of enchantment. They warned us. They used, not COVID, but the COVID response to test the reaction and the fortitude of the American people. So when someone tells you who they are, believe them. They are tyrannical. COVID, in addition to injuring the popular and successful administration of President Trump, was a test run to see how we the people res would respond. And guess what? We the people failed the first time around. It reminds me of what the prophet Daniel wrote in Daniel chapter 5, verse 27, where he said, where God says to King Belshazzar, quote, thou art weighed in the balance and are found wanting, close quote. We Americans were tested by the COVID-19 mafia. We were weighed in the balance and we were found wanting. So they want to do it again. The governors of blue states evaluated their governed and rolled over them. Once you let an erosion, an attack on God-given liberties that are specifically enumerated, when they go unanswered, like sheep, we're asking for it to happen again. It's that simple. We as Americans did not resist like we should have. And as a result, the globalist, the Great Reset, the New World Order, they've moved on to other overreaches of authority. As Governor Lujan, Governor Lujan Grisham, a Catholic, an attorney, governor of New Mexico, she has declared, quote, rights are not absolute, close quote. <laughs> Guess what? President Biden has said the exact same thing verbatim. Quote, rights are not absolute, close quote. So, if that's indeed the standard, are they our rights after all? Or do we just live at the mercy of government win, governmental win? What must our founding fathers think of us right now? And there's more to come. One shudders to think what comes next. 
What are these globalist reset New World Order people preparing us for? Oh, yeah, of course. Everything that they promote, it's for the good of the environment. It's it's to reduce climate, you know, it, it, you know, global warming. And of course, and it's done by emergency declaration. And of course, part of this emergency declaration is no more coal, no more petroleum products, no more meat products. <laughs> We've got to eat bugs, and we're going to like it. More jabs, more mRNA injections and boosters. They're going to tax us on our mileage. Forced to use electric cars. None of this is beyond the vast stretch of the imagination, is it? This is not the end. The Bible says resist the devil, and he will flee. Well, guess what? There is diabolical forces right now at work in the government and with the globalists. We must resist them. But the power of faith, prayer, and the sacraments, come what may. It's very interesting to see what's going to happen next. As Catholics, we got to encourage other Catholics to hold the line. Hold the line. Venerable Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen said, the world is rapidly being divided into two camps. The comradeship of Antichrist and the Brotherhood of Christ. The lines between these two are being drawn. How long the battle will be, we know not. Whether swords will have to be unsheathed, we know not. Whether blood will have to be shed, we know not. Whether it will be an armed conflict, we know not. But in a conflict between truth and darkness, truth cannot lose. Remember, the light, John chapter 1 verse 5 tells us, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it. What the woke left promotes the religious and political left, they promote darkness. What do we promote? Light. The gospel of Jesus Christ is light. And to show you the power of light, go into a dark room. Pitch black. Turn on a candle. One simple candle. That's you. Dispels the darkness. That's the power of light. Our weapons are more powerful than the, than the enemy's weapons. The enemy's weapons are lies, deception, propaganda, misinformation. Let's just be honest. COVID-19 is the infrastructure of control used by these globalists to usher in communism. We're seeing soft communism in America right now. And this is all the work of the Antichrist. This is all the work of the Antichrist. We're seeing it play out right now. The good news is that all of this ushers in the second coming of Christ. And the final victory over evil. 
This is where we're at right now in world history. And you know what I say? If this is the end of the world, or the end of the world is near, well, then let the Antichrist find us standing tall. Yep. Let him find us standing tall. As Catholics, remember, St. Faustina told us. Our Lord told St. Faustina, know that you're on a great stage where all heaven and earth are watching you. Fight like a knight so I can reward you. Do not be unduly fearful because you are not alone. Remember, Catholics, we're called to speak the truth in charity. Do not be afraid. We serve a mighty king. Up next, I want to talk about the implications of Eduardo Verástegui becoming <laughs> the president of Mexico. That would be beyond huge. Anything's possible with God. We'll be right back. Stick around. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. To join the conversation, call 888-526-2151. Now, here's Terry and Jesse. We are back to Terry and Jesse Show. My partner Terry's always out there doing some apostolic work. The man, uh, again, the, the man just works his his uh, his his body uh, continually. For the Lord Jesus Christ, I want to talk now about the implications of Eduardo Verástegui. He's a friend of mine. I know Eduardo quite well. In fact, before I moved from California to Phoenix, Arizona, the last five years that I lived in California, uh, Eduardo would come over my house on Sundays, or I would go over his house on Sundays. And uh, I would give him an apologetics Bible study. Eduardo really just wanted to get immersed in Catholic biblical apologetics. Since he was in Hollywood, he just wanted to know how to sharpen up his arguments, rational thought, and how to philosophically discuss the Catholic faith with other actors. And so <clears throat> I, I got to know him very well. Again, we spent the, the last five years of my life before I moved to Phoenix, Arizona. Every Sunday, I was either at his house or he was at my house. Uh, and I was just going through the different ways of how to explain the Catholic faith, biblical apologetics. And he would invite a bunch of people to his house. He would invite a bunch of actors, directors, and producers and friends of his that would come on Sundays. And so I, I do have a uh, I do have a, a really good relationship with him. He's a serious Catholic. Uh, he had a, a powerful reconversion back to his face, back, back to his Catholic faith. And uh, and I'll tell you now. He's been, he's an actor, but he's kind of put that aside. And I'll tell you why, because he's, 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 again, he, he's a, uh, God gifted him with looks and he was doing a lot of novelas in Mexico. Those are basically, you know, TV, you know, uh, TV series. But again, since he was the pretty boy, the Mexican pretty boy, he was, they used to call him the Brad Pitt of Mexico. They wanted him to do all kinds of bedroom scenes. And once he had his conversion, he says, I'm done with that. I'm done with 
taking out my clothes and doing these bedroom scenes. I'm done. Once he rediscovered his Catholic faith, this guy became, he was on fire or is on fire for the faith. That was, he is. And uh, he's still a, an actor and a producer, but he really limits what he puts out there. He doesn't, he doesn't put out junk. He doesn't, you know, he's not uh, out there trying to pump one video after another. He can care less. He just wants to glorify God. And so I think one of the first movies that he came out with after he had his reconversion was a movie called Bella, which kind of put him back on the map again. That was a movie. Uh, it was a pro-life movie. It was very well done. Uh, other movies he's made is uh, you probably remember The Little Boy. That movie should have been watched by every single Catholic and Protestant on planet Earth. It just didn't have the promotion behind it, but it was a phenomenal movie. Eduardo's also come out in other movies like Mall Cop. He's good friends with Kevin James. My brother Johnny introduced them to each other. Kevin James and Eduardo Verasi met each other through my brother Johnny Romero. He's the one that put them together. And now they're good friends. They've been good friends for over a decade. And Eduardo came out on the movie, uh, I think, uh, yeah, Mall Cop with Kevin James. He's also come out on For Greater Glory. But Mexico's a mess right now. They have a president who's a socialist and who's trying to implement full-fledged full socialism in Mexico. Mexico also passed abortion in the, for the entire country, not just for the state of Mexico. Now it's national abortion. So these Aztec demon gods are back again. These Aztec demon gods that, uh, of course, a demon and an angel, they don't have bodies, so they can't die. They, they, they've made a comeback in Mexico. And so Eduardo feels in his heart that it's time for him to, to really to, to do something monumental. You know, all of us feel that our, our life, you know, we only have a certain number of days before, before we take our final breath, before our heart stops. And Eduardo feels, okay, acting, producing, directing movies, good. That's good. But there's something better, I think, that God has for me. And it's to run for Mexico and try to save this country that was evangelized by Our Lady of Guadalupe. Mexico belongs to God. Think about this. Our Lady Guadalupe, this apparition, approved apparition in Mexico, she left physical evidence that she was there. There's very few apparitions where Our Lady has left physical evidence. This is one apparition where there's physical evidence that the mother of God came from heaven and touched, touched uh, her feet upon planet Earth in Tepeyac, Mexico. And she brought this culture of death into a culture of life. It was a culture of, of savagery, of cannibalism, of uh, slavery, of sodomy. And she, she flipped this culture and brought in knowledge of her son, Jesus Christ. Eduardo Verastegui, he's a leading pro-life advocate. And he's one of the, the directors and producers of the movie Sound of Freedom. Him and his uh, compadre, his good friend, another good Catholic, Alejandro Monteverde, who's married to uh, Ellie Landry. The movie Sound of Freedom, which I've watched twice, produced by Alejandro and Eduardo Verasegui, uh, Eduardo, he spent less, I think, six or seven years making this movie. Uh, they had a lot of problems getting it, getting it put out there. <laughs> he, had, he had the forces of Hollywood working against him. But he's announced now that he's running for president in Mexico. He said, quote, after a period of discernment, I made the most important decision of my life. I've just registered with the INE, National Electoral Institute, my intention 
as an aspiring independent candidate for the presidency of the of the Mexican Republic for the elections of uh, on June 2nd, 2024. Eduardo posted that on his social media, on Instagram. He also posted, quote, my fight is for life, Eduardo says. My fight is for freedom. It's time to remove the, the same old people from power. Our country needs a new way of doing politics to eradicate corruption and impunity, close quote. Eduardo is an actor. He started off as a singer. He's a producer, director now. He's also a pro-life activist, and he rose to fame in the telenovela world that were popular throughout Latin America, which still are popular. Eduardo Verasti, who grew up in Mexico, he's a devout Catholic who is solidly pro-life. He's a daily mass attendee. He's also known for his award-winning film, Bella. He's also known for his de deep devotion to the Holy Rosary. He's acted, like I said, he, he's acted in, in numerous TV shows and films, including Little Boy, uh, including Paul Blart Mall Cop 2, including CSI Miami, and including in the movie Charmed. But what he's most known for is he's active in the pro-life movement. His announcement follows on the heels of Mexico's Supreme Court legalizing abortion. Scandalous. Scandalous. The Mexican Supreme Court issued a landmark decision that will help pave the way to killing hundreds of thousands of babies in abortions. Again, these Aztec demons are back. They never they can never die. They don't use temp, they don't use pyramids and temples now. They use these sanitized abortion clinics. We call them abortion mills. And the new Aztec priests are these Mexican abortion doctors that are killing Mexican babies. Mexico Supreme Court, get this. They said that the current abortion ban is unconstitutional. And strangely, the Mexican Supreme Court called killing human beings before birth, a human right. The first chamber of the court ruled that the... <laughs> Again, you can't make this stuff up. The first chamber of the court ruled that the legal system that penalizes abortion in the federal criminal code is unconstitutional since it violates the human rights of women and people with the capacity to gestate. <laughs> Close quote. That's what the Mexican Supreme Court said. Already... 12 states and the federal district had legalized abortion, and this monumental decision now allows abortion in all the states of Mexico nationwide. The decision comes after a huge crowd of approximately 25,000 pro-lifers marched through Mexico City earlier this year to request protections for unborn babies. The Mexico capital legalize first trimester abortions in 2007 under the Marcelo law and the March for Life leaders said more than 1 million unborn babies have been aborted since then. And this, uh, according to ACI Prensa, Aki Prensa, the Spanish sister outlet 
of the Catholic News Agency. This legislation has caused more than a million abortions in Mexico since the official figures from health centers in Mexico City must be added to those performed in private clinics. Close quote. So uh, the pro-life battle rages in Mexico. What else in you? Catholics, what else is new? Grab your rosaries. Grab your rosaries. Go to the streets. St. Louis de Montfort said, when people see the prayer together, it is far more formidable to the devil than one said privately, because in this public prayer, it is an army that is attacking him. He can often overcome the prayer of an individual. But if this prayer is joined to that of other Christians, the devil has much more trouble in getting the best of it. Close quote. Remember, St. Marcelin, the founder of the Marist Order, said, Without Mary, we are nothing. And with Mary, we have everything. Because Mary, has, Mary always has her adorable son within her arms or in her heart. St. Maximilian Colby said, The Immaculate alone has from God the promise of the victory over Satan. She seeks souls that will consecrate themselves entirely to her, that will become in her hands forceful instruments for the defeat of Satan and the spread of God's kingdom. St. Maximilian Colby. Well, brothers and sisters, we're winding down here. Thanks for tuning in. Tonight I'm going to be at Living Bread Radio. I'm here in Canton, Ohio. And uh, thanks for tuning in to the Virgin Most Powerful, the Terry and Jesse Show. We value your listenership. And uh, just want to just close by reminding you of the five stones of David. Pray the rosary every day. Okay? You're not on the team if you're not praying the rosary. Go to Mass as often as possible. Or Eucharistic adoration. Make sure that that's implemented in your spiritual life. Make sure you're reading the Bible every day, the daily Mass readings. Make sure you're adding fasting and penance to your spiritual life. And make sure you live in a state of grace. God bless you. We'll see you next time. Keep the faith.